Welcome to the Park City Podcast, a podcast created by Park City Church to discuss who God is and how he is at work in our lives. I'm your host, David Morelli. Welcome back to the Park City Podcast. Again, my name is David Morelli, and as always, I'm joined by my friend, Phil Schomber. Phil, uh, this past weekend, the Olympics wrapped up. Did you watch any of the games? You know, I... I didn't really watch uh, very much of it at all. Um, I'm not sure why. Um, I suppose that makes me uh, unpatriotic in that respect. But uh, yeah, just uh, nothing really grabbed my attention. I kind of followed it, you know, in the news. You know, I was a little disappointed. There was, you know, Wisconsin connection to the men's and women's curling team. You know, I was a little disappointed they weren't able to, to medal. But, you know, other than that, I just, you know, nothing grabbed my my attention that much me neither and usually i'm someone who loves the winter games i'm more of a winter games person than summer games uh, i love all the skiing and snowboarding and you mentioned curling like that became the hype right like what was that 2016 or 14 or whatever it was right it was like everyone got really into curling <laughs> and i was one of those people it was like fun to watch but the last couple olympics i don't know if it was covid and like getting delayed you know, with missing the 2020 games and then them being bumped back to last year instead. And, and so it just, it felt almost like a, wait, didn't we just have the Olympics kind of thing? Um, I, yeah, I just, I, I wasn't super interested. So I didn't actually watch a single second of, of anything, but I did similar to you kind of pay attention to, Hey, who was meddling? And, um, yeah, I was curious how, uh, since I watch all the snowboard stuff, like this was Sean White's last Olympics. So I was curious, you know, how he would do and, not as well as uh, we would have hoped, but still obviously quite the career that he's had at the Olympics. Um, so, yeah, just a fun uh, a fun thing, I guess, to, to keep track of, but I didn't actually watch any of it. So we'll see uh, maybe in, what what's the next one? In 2024, it would be Summer Games, and I think it's Paris, maybe? Um, I think so. you're right, yeah. Okay, so, you know, we have another chance in two years. I can uh, start to start to get the inch for the Olympics again. If the podcast is still around, maybe we'll uh, have something to say about those Olympics. Yeah, yeah, right. There we go. In two years, so stay tuned. So if you if you're you're looking for a recap, you know, on what happened in these past Olympics, Phil and I are not your guy. Uh, so, well, before we get into the discussion uh, for this week, wanted to just remind you of what we talked about last week. Last week we were talking about Jesus's call to superior righteousness, and so we talked about in the sermon discussion, how our outward actions aren't always good indicators for what's really going on in our hearts. And then with the devotional, we talked about how the Bible is necessary and how it actually helps us to grow spiritually. Now, this week, Corey preached on Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 37, and we continued in this theme of Jesus's call to superior righteousness. And in this text, we actually learn that Jesus desires for us to be people of honesty and integrity, both in general life, but also he uses the specific example of how that can play out in marriage if you are married. So, Phil, as you were listening on Sunday morning, what stood out to you? Well, um, you know, I thought there there was actually quite a bit that, you know, I found, um, you know, applicable to, to my life. But, you know, one of the things that, a kind of a connection that I was making to other parts of this series. You know, as Corey was talking about the different views on divorce in Jesus' day, 
he noted that one of the schools of thought, you know, said that almost any reason was sufficient grounds for divorce. You know, in other words, you know, any excuse could justify it, you know, and that got me thinking about that higher standard of righteousness that you were just referring to that Jesus has been talking about throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And I just, I just started thinking about how often I, you know, wind up making excuses, you know, in an attempt to justify my behavior, certainly within my own marriage, but, you know, more generally, you know, as well, just, just, you know, trying to convince myself that, you know, you know, that I'm doing okay, um, you know, when really maybe I'm not living up to all that God would want me to be doing. Yeah, I felt a similar way. And I think, you know, it's interesting that you draw out that kind of continual conviction we feel as we read through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And again, it was like another week of that, of just, yeah, seeing your own shortcomings and realizing how high of a call Jesus has on our lives. Um, And, you know, I was was relating to Corey as he was talking about just – you know, how the, the pressure that we can feel to kind of conform to other people's, you know, perceptions of us. And we can twist the truth in a way that, you know, makes us look good uh, or at least better, you know, than we would if we just let reality play out. And, you know, I'm so guilty of that. I'm good at deflecting blame and uh, and doing that, kind of manipulating, you know, the reality to, to make myself look better. Um, but again, as, you know, we're talking about, that's not Jesus, that's not how Jesus calls us to act. You know, he's, he wants us to be people of truth and to, to own up to the mistakes that we make and to live, you know, lives of, of honesty and integrity. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I appreciated, um, Corey sharing, you know, his own, um, you know, uh, struggles, you know, I guess, or, I, you know, weakness in that, in that respect. Um, and I, and I'm sure a lot of people could, could relate. I know I could, um, you know, pleasing people, you know, I think is, you know, something a lot of us want to do for me, it's, it's often comes out in, you know, I want people to think that, you know, I'm intelligent, that I, I know most everything, um, uh, unless, unless we're talking about the Olympics and I don't know anything about that, but otherwise, <laughs> you know, I want you to know um, that, I'm you know, I know, know things and, um, you know, and that can be dangerous in a variety of ways, but, you know, as Corey said, you know, uh, you know, we're not likely to out and out lie, but that shading the truth to make us look better, you know, um, you know, is, is something that, you know, again, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, it's something that we might want to make an excuse for, oh, you know, it's really not that bad or it's mostly true, but, again, is, is that really what God, you know, wants us, um, how, how he wants us to be acting. Exactly. Exactly. Well, as we noted just a second ago, one of the ways that, you know, Jesus was wanting our integrity to, and our honesty to play itself out is in our view of marriage, that as Christians, we are called to have a high view of marriage. So how does this text help us to do that? You know, I think it, it underscores that, you know, marriage is not transitory. It doesn't, it's not something that comes to an end just because, you know, we're not happy with something or we're, or we're finding it, it difficult. Um, you know, uh, in other words, we're not supposed to go into marriage looking for 
you know, an escape hatch right, you know, from the get-go. And that's not just because, you know, it's a bad idea that, you know, your relationship is going to suffer if you have that attitude, which is true, but it ultimately runs counter to God's plan for marriage, you know, and that comes through in our passage from Sunday, but, you know, on Jesus teaching on marriage in other places as well. Yeah, I, I read a book um, when I was engaged, and I, I'm forgetting the name of it now off the top of my head, but the kind of the thesis of the book was, what if marriage isn't meant to make you happy, but to sanctify you? And again, it, he, the author draws out a lot of those same themes of, we do live in a culture, as Corey was noting on Sunday, that you know, it, kind of pleasure is, is king, right? It's like, do whatever makes you feel good and and marriage is thought of in the same way so if marriage isn't pleasing you then get divorced you you know you leave you change the circumstance uh and this you know book is really talking about again marriage like they're going to be parts of marriage that make you incredibly happy right i mean my marriage is one of the most life-giving things to me but that's not to say that it's easy all the time you know we've talked about that i know before on the podcast but one of the ways that the lord uses marriage is to sanctify us Right. We start to see and you kind of hinted at this, you know, your answer just to what stood out on Sunday of how our own selfishness comes to the surface. Right. And we start to see the ways that we're self-centered and we want what's best for us. And we don't we're not really good at considering others needs. Uh, And, you know, I think one of the, the, the beautiful things that the Lord does is kind of mold that, you know, over time within us. Um, but again, as you were, you know, as you were also noting that we can't just be looking, you know, when those things happen, when it gets hard, when we kind of recognize, oh, wait, my selfish view of things isn't going to be the way that, uh, you know, our relationship flourishes. Well, the answer isn't just run. Right. And, and I think that's where, you know, it's such a challenging view because I, it, you know, whenever we encounter difficulty or tension, usually that's, that's our attitude. I mean, that's generally my attitude, right? It's flee from conflict, flee from the difficulty, take, you know, the easy path. Uh, but again, Jesus is saying, look, marriage is about commitment and about faithfulness. And, and again, as we see in other areas of scripture too, right? It's to represent how the Lord is loyal and faithful to us, though we don't deserve it. Yeah. And, and all of that, you know, I think runs counter to at least much of what society would say about relationships in general, but um, marriage in in particular, why do you get married? Because you think it's going to make you happy. And so if it's not at any given point in time, why don't, why wouldn't you end it? You know, but as you were just saying that um, God's, God's plan for marriage goes beyond happiness. It's not, it's not to say that God doesn't intend marriage to make us happy, but he, he has other plans and, and perhaps defines happiness um, in more uh, lasting uh, terms than, than we, we do. We tend to look at our, you know, moment by moment, how do I feel, um, as opposed to what is what I'm going through at the moment going to, what are its, the results down the road? And, you know, sanctification, but also as you go through difficult times, your relationship can be stronger if you approach it the appropriate way. Absolutely. And that stronger relationship can bring you more happiness uh, than I think you realize. 
or many of us realize in in the midst of the difficulty right absolutely absolutely i thought it was interesting too how you know jesus really fleshes out the question of the kind of the air and asking the question of what constitutes a divorce and how that kind of reveals the motivation of kind of a heart that that is looking for the exit mm-hmm. uh and i had never really thought about that before um you know, and again, sometimes, right, we get into the black and white, rather we want it to be black and white, and we realize it's more nuanced than that, and we, you know, we, so we're trying to understand, okay, exactly, you know, when would it be lawful, right, for a divorce? But I think, again, what Jesus is calling to is not a, not the exit door, right, as you're saying, but, okay, how do we endure? How do we persevere? How do we press on in marriage? And again, recognize that it's not just a, a vow between two people people right between you and a spouse it's also between you and god right and it's symbolic of this vertical relationship we have with him and so again that's not to be thought of flippantly right which is kind of why you know it it the marriage and divorce discussion ties in with the oath taking you know as Corey, you know we'll 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 get to the the oath in the oath part of the 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 passage in probably in a moment, but, you know, um, as Corey mentioned during that, you know, uh, the reasons for uh, coming up with all those rules for when an oath was binding, uh, you know, in, in a sense, you are looking for an out. And, you know, <clears throat> if, if that's what you're doing with marriage, um, as you said, because your promise isn't just to another person, as important as that is, uh, it's also to God. You know, I think that takes on another um, level and um, points to, you know, just the importance of the decision, but kind of the importance of um, going into it with an attitude of, you know what, um, I'm, I'm not looking for an excuse uh, to not have to keep that promise. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do what I can to um, kind of keep this commitment. Right, right. Something Corey said towards the end of the marriage portion of the sermon I thought was really important. You know, he was reminding us that as followers of Jesus, we are to be champions of marriage, that we are to seek to uphold its value. And generally, I think we like hearing things like that. I think when we, in Scripture, read, uh, you know, this idea almost that Jesus is passing the torch to us, right? And we can kind of carry on his mission, right? That, that excites us. I think it uh, it gives us a great sense of, of purpose. At least it does for me. But I think sometimes where we err is we get a little too bullish in our communication of truth. Um, and, you know, Corey was mentioning the importance of, okay, look, as we look to be champions of marriage in our society, we need to go about that in a way that, you know, those who are considering divorce or thinking about having an affair, or maybe they, you know, they are divorced or going through one right now, they have had an affair, right? That those people would feel comfortable coming to us, right? And that's this idea that we've talked about previously on the podcast of, of gospel culture, that Christians in the church ought to be the safest place for people experiencing, you know, divorce, adultery, or, you know, other life circumstances, right? There, there's a way that we can champion marriage where we reflect Jesus to others. So how exactly can we do that? You know, I think it starts with, you know, just recognizing that 
you know, the purpose of holding a high view of marriage is not so that we can condemn people. You know, if, if the Sermon on the Mount has taught us anything, it's that, you know, uh, we need God's, we all need God's forgiveness and help in meeting the higher standard that Jesus is laying out for us in the, in the sermon. And that fact ought to help us empathize with anyone who's struggling uh, on any issue, but including those who might be going through struggles in their marriage. Absolutely. I think going off of that, you know, and, you know, recognizing that these are opportunities to care well for people, right? That if you have a friend, you know, going through divorce or, or, you know, there's been an affair in their marriage or whatever the situation might be, right? That's an opportunity to, to listen well, to empathize, to understand, you know, to, to come alongside them and, and bear that burden with them. And, you know, as I was alluding to earlier, I think sometimes, again, we get too bullish on the truth and we want to do that. You're wrong. I'm right. This is what the Bible says. But I think we miss opportunities to show gospel care to those people in the moment as they're going through that struggle. Uh, And I think, you know, thinking through ways of how can you come alongside that person? How can you reflect Christ's love for them? You know, that then communicates a commitment to say, hey, look, I want to walk alongside you through this process, whatever that looks like, right? I'm not just going to write you off, you know, of, hey, you got divorced. The Bible, you know, isn't really pro-divorce. So, hey, you're, you're dead to me. Like, that's ultimately missing the point, right? And I think as, as followers of Jesus, I think that's where we can challenge ourselves to say, what does it, you know, what does it look like? to love people well as they walk through these things, right? And how do we come alongside them and empathize and, and care well? And I, th- I think something um, that for those of us who are married, you know, I think it's important for us to be honest about the difficulties, the difficulties that we experience. Um, certainly when we're coming alongside somebody, but just in general, because if, if we you know, for appearance sake, make it appear as if this is easy and that, you know, it's all, you know, just blissful joy every moment uh, of every day. Somebody who is uh, going through some serious difficulties is going to be tempted to think that, oh, this is an aberration. Something is seriously wrong here. Um, and they may not have to feel that way. You know, if, if we're honest about what marriage really looks like, I think that has the potential to help people so that when we come alongside them, um, you know, hopefully it's not that surprising to them that we would do that because we want to help them just as, as we needed help um, in our own marriages. I think that's a really, really good point to make, again, to identify you know, with their pain and, to, and again, that authenticity to, again, share the, the non, you know, again, last week we celebrated Valentine's Day and again, the holiday, right? We, we joked holiday, you know, to, to sell cards and, and it's, you know, I, there's this idea, right? That it's every couple's favorite holiday. And I don't think that's actually true by any means. Um, but again, it portrays the idea of everyone who's married, right? Is so happy. And I mean, like we've talked about, like there's a lot of happy parts about marriage and 
I think there's, there's, you see God's grace in that, in that, you know, that he created marriage and that we do experience a lot of joy and satisfaction in it. However, as you're, as you're saying it, that's not without difficulty, without struggle, without, um, you know, seasons in your marriage that are incredibly difficult. I think another thing that I want to say too, as we talk about being champions of marriage as Christians is remembering that marriage isn't the only option for a Christian, um, that, you know, the Bible upholds singleness as a worthy option as well. And being careful not to communicate, you know, like it's great to say, okay, we want to have a high view of marriage. We want to communicate its value in a society that maybe doesn't see it the same way as the Bible. But I think we need to be careful not to communicate in a way in which people then start to associate marriage as the quote unquote Christian way. Like, like if you want to be a Christian, you need to be married because again, that's not biblical. That's not helpful. You know, and I think that actually kind of shuns the many faithful single Christians who I believe are honoring and glorifying God through that decision um, or through that season in, in life, you know, whatever that might, might look like. And so I think that's worth noting you know, to, to be cautious in how we communicate the value of marriage in our society, to not, to not want to shun those who are single. And I think that's just something to be aware of. No, I think that's an excellent point because, um, a high view of marriage isn't exclusive of a high view of singleness either, because Paul certainly, um, places a high value on that. And in fact says, you know, he wishes, more were, were like him because of the advantages singleness um, can have. So, you know, I just think it's unbiblical to, uh, you know, to, to place one over the other. Um, yeah, so I think that's an excellent point and one that needs to be uh, made in this context. Well, as you were mentioning earlier, the second half of the sermon, Corey was touching on Jesus' teaching on oaths and really these kingdom values of honesty and integrity when it comes to how we speak, the commitments that we make, the importance of the words that we say. So why do the values of honesty and integrity matter? Well, you know, we're called to be holy as God is holy. And, you know, um, God's holiness includes, you know, his truthfulness and faithfulness. So we're called to reflect that as well. Absolutely. Right. I mean, Jesus himself, you know, describes himself as the way, the truth, the life, right? That what God says will come to pass. And so exactly right. As we look to reflect God's character, we ought to live in the same way. Now, I think a big piece, like we were talking about earlier with Corey's example of how we can kind of shade or twist the truth. As you think of your own life, what factors kind of hinder you from, from wanting to tell you know, the, the whole story sometimes, what from, you know, makes you want to kind of twist the truth in some way or another? Well, I, I hinted at it earlier. Um, you know, I value my intelligence. Um, um, I want people to think I'm smart. Um, and so if there's something, you know, that would cause me to be worried about whether I'm going to come off that way. Say this podcast, for example, um, you know, I, it, it makes me nervous. And anytime, you know, that raises its head, 
there's that temptation to, well, what can I do to, you know, overcome whatever the, the challenge is to, to make me look like, you know, smart. Should I, you know, uh, you know, just what can I do to, to, to make myself not look bad in this situation? And so that's in certain circumstances, you know, as, as Corey said, you know, we're not likely to just out and out lie. Uh, but the temptation is going to be, how can I make myself look as good as I can in this situation? And if maybe leaving something out or choosing my words just right, um, you know, that's going to be a temptation for me. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm very similar. I care, you know, too much about what others think of me. Um, you know, I want to fit in. And so, you know, I can, I can mold my personality right around certain groups of people to, to kind of align myself more with them. But I think, again, you get silly examples of like, even in a Christian circle, you know, I've been in instances where I've been in a Bible study and, you know, someone quotes a, a passage kind of with the tone that we would all know it, you know, some, somewhat like, Oh, John three sixteen, Right. And you know, Oh, okay. And everyone kind of nods along and I'm looking around the room, like, Oh, everyone knows that. Like I, I should, I should be able to quote that passage. And, and, and then you like sit there and you're kind of lying to yourself like, Oh yeah, I totally know what they're talking about. And it's like, what, what's the point of that? Right? Like what, there's no shame in saying, Oh, what passage is that? Right? Like, but in your head, it becomes this big, oh, you know, they're going to think I'm, you know, either not as smart or they're going to think that I, you know, I, I'm not as good of a Christian because I don't know my Bible as well or whatever. And, you know, another silly example that actually comes up relatively often in my marriage is I've learned as I've gotten to know Lauren that I've seen far fewer movies in my life than she has. And so it's a very common uh, occurrence for her to, you know, say, oh, have you seen you know, blank, whatever the movie is. And for me to go, no. And then she looks at me and it's that look like, how could you have possibly lived your life without seeing this movie? And, you know, usually I joke back, well, I played outside as a kid. And, you know, that's kind of my, my joking response. But uh, even in instances like that, not so much with Lauren, but with others, you know, if someone asks me a question, it feels like I should, I should know the answer based on kind of how they asked it, right? I'm tempted to just kind of not along, right? And you get yourself into one of those situations with a movie where it's like, oh, what's that character's sister's name, you know, again? And you're like, uh, uh, Julia? I, I don't know, right? <laughs> and then, you know, you can pretty quickly get yourself found out, right? Yeah. You know, you had mentioned the, the, uh, the, the Bible passage. Somebody, you know, assumes, you know, everybody in the group knows the the exact quotation or whatever, you know, that is something that I actually also um, am tempted to, to, to try to fake, you know, I have a seminary degree. So I feel like if, you know, if I admit that, Hey, maybe I don't have that passage memorized, but somebody else does, that's, you know, going to make me look bad. So, you know, I nod my head as if I know exactly, you know, the quote and then, you know, might tell myself, oh, you know, I didn't actually say, that I could quote that or knew that exactly, you know, ignoring the fact that by nodding my head, that's exactly what I wanted, you know, wanted people to, to think. So no, I, I, I can identify with, with that. And, you know, I think it points to just how easy it is for us to want to find ways, you know, to shade the truth, to, to, to make us look better, what that looks like, you know, for each one of us might be a little bit different because we might have, um, 
you know, different areas that we want to protect, but I, I think we can all identify with that. Totally. And I think that's where, you know, Jesus's command of the, you know, let your yes be yes and your no be no kind of thing. Like that just sounds super simple to us, but I think in practice becomes much more difficult. And so I think as we unearth some of those uh, factors that, that kind of influence whether or not we shade the truth, you know, I think that then becomes helpful of, okay, if we, if the call is to live as honest and, you know, full of integrity and, and to be those sorts of people, I think that's kind of the, the way we need to look inward and say, okay, what actually needs to change? You know, where do I need God's help and his grace, you know, for that to actually work itself out in my life? Yeah. As again, as we've, you know, we keep going back to Jesus standard is, you know, higher than, than me, we may want to, um, have to admit, but, you know, when we acknowledge that and, you know, I think it does create opportunities for us to see where we fall short. And then that allows us to, um, ask God to help us in that area so that we can, um, reflect his character better. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Let's pause the sermon discussion there and move over to the devotional, where this week we are wrapping up the topic of the Bible by talking about its sufficiency. So in one of the daily readings, Phil, you mentioned that the Bible tells us everything we need to know to find salvation and to have a relationship with God. How do we actually know that that is true? Well, it's tied to, ultimately, it's tied to God's character. You know, in, in the uh, devotional, I give the example, you know, of, you know, an old car I once owned that, that Jenny dubbed the death car. And I sort of spun out, it, the, the car actually wasn't as, you know, as bad as this, but I, you know, uh, sort of threw out, you know, a scenario where there was just, just to get the headlights to turn on, there was this intricate, you know, series of things that you, you had to do. Um, but, you know, there are times when you're going to want the headlights to be on. And if I lent you the car, uh, knowing that you're going to be driving, you know, in a windy, dark country road one night, you know, I would want you to know just what you needed to do to turn those headlights on. If I had any concern for you whatsoever, um, you know, ultimately, because we know God loves us, we know that he, uh, and we know that clearly by what he's demonstrated for us on the, on the cross. So given that we know that there really would be no reason that he would kind of hide something for, from us, that there's something that we would uh, need to know or do in order to spend eternity with him. But, you know, he just kept us in the dark about that. So I, I think when you look at God's character, we have every reason to trust that what he's told us in, in, in the Bible uh, is exactly what we need to know um, to be saved and have a relationship with him in eternity. Exactly. And the Bible itself actually says that, right? The passage that you reference at the top of that daily reading, 2 Timothy three fourteen to 17, actually says about halfway through that passage, you know, talking about the sacred writings, talking about scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then, you know, the verse that, you may have heard, I'm not going to assume that you've heard it as we're talking about, because again, there's no shame in not knowing that, uh, but that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, right? We can trust that as you're saying, look, the word of God says it, 
But as you're saying, it, it's it's ultimately rooted in his character. That as we've discussed before on the podcast, that that we can trust that that because God wants to reveal Himself to us, that He has, and that again, He wouldn't hold anything back from us if it was necessary in order for us to have a relationship with him. Exactly. Because he loves us and because he's trustworthy, he's, he's put it right out there for us. There are many things that we may not know, but that's not one of them. Well, we've discussed this idea previously in the podcast, but there's going to be things in the Bible and things about God that we just simply don't understand, right? So how do we wrestle with the fact that we won't fully understand everything? Well, you know, for me that, you know, that's a difficult issue because as I've already said, you know, I, I like to understand things. I'd like to know things and I get frustrated, uh, when I don't. Um, and, uh, I also, depending on the circumstances can actually get worried about what I don't know and, and wonder, you know, is that somehow going to end up you know, costing me something? Is that, is it going to end up hurting me in the end if I had only known something and been able to act on it? But in the end, I think we just have to come to grips that there's, there's no getting around that. You know, we just will not and could not understand everything because we're finite human beings. Um, and I think that, you know, it's also important to remind ourselves that ultimately, the ground of our relationship with God isn't our understanding all the details of a particular problem and how they're going to work out. In the end, it comes down to trusting him and trusting what we already know about him, not necessarily all of everything that, that we might want to know, but trusting in what we already know about him. Right. And because we are finite, even if God did explain how something happened, it doesn't guarantee that we would actually understand it. Right. Like I think of I took uh, a physics class in college and every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoon for 45 minutes, physics was explained to me. It was taught. Uh, I paid attention uh, and I did my best to try to understand it. But I'm not a physics person. It just goes right over my head. And so I got I luckily I, I learned enough to pass the class and kind of meet that you know requirement for my degree. But again, physics was definitely explained to me. I, I just don't understand it, right? And I think the same is true in our relationship with God. Like you take, for instance, the example of creation. We're told in the Bible, you know, what happened, right? On the first day, on the second day, on the third day. But that still doesn't help us, you know, exactly understand the specifics between, you know, how the Lord created the earth or how he formed Adam or Eve, Right. And you, know, you think of Isaiah 55, right? My ways are, are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As the Lord's saying this, that they're so much greater than ours. And so there's always going to be this disconnect of, you know, we're going to have a, a limit to our understanding. Uh, but as you said, I think that the, the hope or where we can land is that ultimately, right, our relationship with the Lord isn't grounded or, or rooted in us understanding him. Rather, it's faith in, in who he is and how he's demonstrated his love for us. Yeah. And I think that that extends to, you know, even, you know, th things, issues that the Bible might deal with that in theory, somebody, you know, who studies enough could, 
come to an understanding of, you know, I think it's important for us to also understand that, you know, if that's not us, either because of our particular point we are in our walk with, with the Lord, or it's, you know, we just haven't delved that deeply into the Bible and theology. Uh, even something like that doesn't detract from our ability to um, have a strong relationship with God because, again, it's not dependent upon knowing all sorts of details. It's ultimately about trusting him. And, you know, um, you don't necessarily have to be a, a Bible scholar to be able to do that well. Right. However, I would say I think there's instances in our lives as we walk with God where it definitely feels like we need more information, right? We kind of, we end up in situations where it feels like, how could I possibly trust and obey God if I don't have more information? And I'm thinking of something like making biblical decisions. Um, Like you gave the example in the devotionals about a job. And, you know, like the Bible doesn't tell us what job we should take, right? It doesn't tell us, you know, whether we should marry or not or, or who we should marry for that fact. And so in my mind, sometimes I think I land in the, well, God, like you need to give me more direction. Like if you want me to take a specific job, I need to know what that job is and then I can actually obey. So how, when it comes to decision making, and I know this is a very complex and and nuanced discussion, but how does the Bible actually help us to trust and obey God in situations like that? Yeah. And and before I kind of delve into that, you, you mentioned that it's, it's kind of a nuanced, uh, topic. And in part, that's because, you know, as you said, what we want to know is, does God care whether I take job A or job B? Um, and if he does, you know, how do I, how do I figure that out? And, you know, as, as you kind of delve into that, you know, the issues ultimately surround, uh, revolve around things like God's providence, uh, human free will, how does the Holy Spirit work? And, um, you know, we'll have to leave most of those questions, you know, for another day because, um, you know, our topic is the Bible. Um, but, the, you know, the, if people are feeling like, well, I, you know, I'd maybe want a little bit more, the reason you're feeling that way is because you'd have to kind of dig into each of those um, those topics to be able to answer it completely. But because we're talking about the Bible, you know, I think it's important to understand that, um, you know, as you said, we're not going to, you're not going to open up to a verse and there it says, David, take job B over job A. You know, nice. it's, yes, it would. I think we can all agree with that, but I think we can also agree that that passage probably doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> but that doesn't mean the Bible doesn't have a lot to say about your decision whether to take job A or job B. You know, if you're if you're looking at the at, at a decision whether to take a new job, for example, you know, you could look at the motivations that you might have for 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 wanting that new job. And I think we can also we can agree that the Bible is going to have a lot of things to say about those motivations. And that in turn is going to say a lot about which decision would be pleasing to God and consistent with his desire for us to be conformed uh, into Christ's image. So, and in some cases may, may settle it. Um, you know, most jobs 
aren't inherently evil. So, you know, we may, I mean, if it were, the Bible would certainly say, you know, you're not, don't take job A because it's, it's out and out wrong. But usually the reasons we want one job over another, um, if we can sort through them, you know, do say something about us, uh, who we are as a person right now. And again, the Bible is going to be able to say something about how those, those motivations, how, you know, how, how they stand up to, to God's desires for us. Also, as you kind of, at least as best you can, try to understand what the consequences of taking a certain job would be. You know, imagine that you're, um, you, you have a chance to take what would have been your dream job 10 years ago. It's finally offered to you and you want, you want to take it because it's, it's all you've ever thought about. But as you start thinking about it, you're like, well, that job is going to require me to work 60 hour weeks and I'm going to have to commute. But now you're married, have kids. And as you start to tease out what that would look like, maybe you realize that the sacrifices that you would have to make now aren't, aren't what God would want you to do. You're, you, would be, you wouldn't be uh, doing right by your family in that case. But 10 years ago, had it been offered, maybe it would have been a different answer. Um, so, you know, it, 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 all that to say, that's not a perfect example, um, but, you know, the Bible is going to be able to say a lot about the decisions even if it doesn't say exactly take this job or that job. And then, then when we add the Holy Spirit's work into the equation, we, we receive additional guidance. Um, and we'll, you know, in, when we get to that point in the devotional, you know, we'll have more to say about that. But, you know, I, I personally think a big way that the Holy Spirit works and guides us is by helping us to understand our circumstances and, and how the Bible applies in those in those circumstances, which, which just serves to further underscore the importance of God's word in our, in our decisions. Absolutely. And again, I, I've experienced the frustration of, you know, like I said, wouldn't it be nice if the Bible just told us what to do? Um, but as we've touched on before, you know, that's where the role of faith comes in. But I felt like that was an important example to touch on because the Bible also talks about the kinds of people that we are to be. And I think, you know, the, the Lord may have a specific, you know, job in mind, right? You might reach a certain uh, intersection in your career in which hey, the Lord, you know, wants you to go through door A, right? And, and, and through his sovereignty and his providence, you know, he'll, he'll guide you there. However, the Lord cares most deeply about the types of people that we are. And I think, you know, what you were saying there about the motivations and, and how we go about making that decision, I think sometimes you know, similarly to how we were talking about, you know, with the question of what constitutes a divorce really isn't a helpful question. Sometimes we ask a lot of those sorts of questions in our decisions, right? We're asking kind of the wrong question. And I think sometimes the Bible lays out the plan of, hey, this is, you know, David, this is the type of man, you know, I'm who, you know, God is calling me to be. And okay, well, I can, I can take that and then I can go be a doctor, a lawyer, a pastor, etc. to the glory of God, right? Um, and and I can trust that, okay, the Lord's going to steer me, you know, 
as as I make decisions, as I, you know, again, as you're talking about, there's there's multiple factors at, at, at work here with the Holy Spirit and, and all of that. But again, I think we start to trust, you know, again, it comes back to who the Lord is, who he's called us to be. And I think that gives us a confidence and a peace in those situations in which we're often worrisome and anxious, right? Yeah, I, you know, I, I said, you know, one of the issues has to do with God's providence and kind of giving a complete answer for decision-making. And I also said we weren't going to go into it, but here I am. I'm going to just tip dip my toes into it just a bit. <laughs> but kind of when you were talking about trusting God, I mean, I think that's um, ultimately he knows the decision we're going to make. He knows how that's going to play out. And um, he's going to be with us no matter what. And, you know, I think that's important for us to keep in mind because often when we are wondering about a choice, we're trying to forecast what all the potential consequences are going to be. And we want to be able to see that choice A or choice B is going to turn out the way that we want it to. But often and perhaps typically God isn't going to show us that. Uh, even when he gives us an indication of which choice is right, we're still going to have to trust him in that because we're, we're not going to have a clear picture of how that's going to work out. And, I, and so I think that's important to keep in mind as we're talking about decision-making, as we're looking at how the Bible applies. And if we're still feeling like, hey, I don't know all of what's going to happen if I make this choice that doesn't necessarily mean it's the wrong choice because we'll rarely know everything, all, all the ways a particular choice is going to play out. Right. So I, I think in, in how do we cope with that? Cause it's scary. It's knowing that, uh, whatever choice we make, God is still with us. Um, and you know, that, that can be a comforting, uh, truth. Right. And I think that idea segues well into what you talk about in the last reading where, you know, we have to be content with what God has revealed. And you, you mentioned how really focusing on what God has revealed rather than what he hasn't helps us to follow him, helps us to trust him, helps, helps us to have confidence in him. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, I try to, to relay that, you know, he's revealed an awful lot. The mere fact that we know that Jesus went to the cross for us says an awful lot about who God is. Um, that, and that's just one part of what he's revealed to us. Um, he's given us a picture of what eternity looks like. We still may have questions, but we have an awful lot to look forward to. You know, we don't know how every decision is going to play out, but he's promised to be there for us. He's told us to turn to him in prayer. He's given us his Holy Spirit. So, you know, when we start to kind of tick off all the things that we do know, uh, it's quite a bit. And so if we only focus on what we wish we knew, we're never going to be able to take joy in all the things that he has revealed to us. I think that's well said. And again, it, it, it's that perspective of, of shifting the way that our, 
our mind works, where again, we start to, to get back to kind of the basics of just who is God? Who am I? Who does he call me to be? And then, okay, I'm, at the end of the day, I just need to trust him. And, you know, as we've, we've talked about before, so much of what we talk about on this podcast is, uh, might sound easy in, in, uh, in theory, right. But in practice becomes much more difficult. And I know I can, I can speak for you, Phil, and saying, we're not experts in this. Like this isn't something that plays out in our own life. Like, oh yeah, whenever I'm, you know, really torn on this big life decision, it's just like a, oh, trusting God, super easy, never anxious. Uh, you know, I think you could consult our, our journals or talk to our wives or others that know us well, right? And and kind of go, well, that's not exactly how, how it plays out in those instances. Uh, but I think that truth is so important that, again, we can, as we talked about with the Bible being clear, God desires to reveal himself to us. And that doesn't mean he's going to reveal everything, but what he has revealed is most important. And we can cling to those things. And again, that's where the foundation of faith, right, comes in. Um, and so I think if, you know, if you're in kind of that season, I hope that that's an encouragement to you um, that, again, God is for you, he's with you, uh, and that, yes, you're not going to know everything, but you have enough to trust him, uh, and he is surely worthy of, of our trust. Well, let's pause the discussion there for the sake of time. But Phil, as always, want to just say thank you so much for all your thoughts and, and wisdom uh, as we as we discuss these things. And again, as you're listening, I hope that this is beneficial and encouraging for you. But before we wrap up, we would like to remind you that if you have any questions about anything that we are discussing, we would absolutely love to hear your thoughts and your questions. Uh, so please send those to my email, davidmorelli at parkcitychurch.net and we will attempt to answer them as best we can. Well, next week, we will continue through our series on the Sermon on the Mount by looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48. And then in the devotional, we will be starting a new topic, humanity. So we will begin that discussion on humanity by talking about how God created us for his glory. So please join us next week for that discussion. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Park City Podcast. We hope this resource helps you to see and savor God's goodness, beauty, and grace in your life. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.parkcitychurch.net. Once again, thanks for listening.